1: championship team. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Rico
0: Bronya time. How's everybody doing? Evan Roberts, Pete Hoffman. We as Met fans are here to give you the Met talk that you need. It's actually a little different today because coming up over the weekend, Uh, we are going to find out who makes it to the hall of fame from the contemporary era ballot. So coming up in a little bit, one of the focuses on the podcast today, will be taking a look at all the guys on the ballot and their New York Mets connections, how they did against the Mets and how close they came to becoming New York Mets. Some of these stories, which are true, which have been, uh, validated, if you will, are going to blow your mind. I'll leave it at that. We'll get to that coming up in a little bit. Uh, couple of things from the last few days. Number one, the report that the Mets are going to make some changes to the coaching staff. John Heyman had that report that Eric Chavez is going to be promoted to bench coach. Glenn Sherlock is basically going to become the the catching instructor. Uh, Really, the headline of that is how much they love Eric Chavez and how much the players love Eric Chavez. And We heard about that last year with him becoming the hitting coach, how successful the Mets offense mostly was especially for the early part of the season, the improvements we saw from certain individuals, the bounce back seasons we saw from certain individuals. And even just listening to Eric Chavez speak, uh, I think he was a hitting coach that had the right message. You know, the message being basically, we're not going to make these guys overthink it. We're not going to give them too much information. They're going to have information, but I also know what it feels like because I'm a hitter and I had a major league career and I was pretty good. But what, I think we are learning about Eric Chavez is that he's not long for our world. And what I mean by that is he is viewed so positively by everybody. He's going to be a manager very, very soon and give the Mets credit for this. Eric Chavez was initially hired as an assistant hitting coach for the New York Yankees. That was his job. Uh, Brian Cashman to his credit has an eye for certain guys who he thinks can become really good coaches and or managers. He also loved Carlos Beltran, which sort of led to the Mets hiring him a couple of years ago. But they hired Chavez. He was going to be the assistant hitting coach. And then the Mets were like, hey, we want him to be the hitting coach. And they poached him from the New York Yankees. And look, there's nothing the Yankees could do. They were offering him a better job. They gave him a better job. He's done very well. And like in theory, I could sit here and tell you he is the manager-in-waiting for when Buck Showalter retires. But the truth is, and I thought about this because I had mentioned this before about Buck, I think on the last podcast. Hey, wouldn't it be great to have the future manager on the bench? I was thinking about it. Buck's going to manage until they get rid of him. Like, he could be the manager for the next 10 years. I don't get the impression that age is going to hold him back. And we've seen other managers manage deep into their 70s, if you will. So I don't think the Mets really need to really think about who the next manager is for Buck unless things go badly. (laughs) And if things go badly, you're probably not promoting the bench coach to manager. At least none of us fans would want that. So here's the reality with Eric Chavez. Enjoy him. Hopefully he is making that great impact and he continues to make that great impact. But down the road, he's going to manage a team. Probably the New York Yankees once they fire Aaron Boone. So I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, I'm not, though. I'm sorta of kidding, but am I? Because Cashman loves him some Eric Chavez. So good for him. He got promoted. Uh that's really what I make out of it. Do you take anything else out of the uh coaching decisions off?
2: Well well, I thought that you were gonna say the reason why Eric Chavez isn't gonna last long is because he's gonna get hurt while being the bench coach <laughs> the Mets, which means he's gonna be out for the season. So Come I wasn't really sure <laughs> I dude, I love Eric Chavez. Honestly, the guy has been a blessing, and I I, I appreciate the way the Mets did steal him from the Yankees, but you're right. I, I As he continues to get elevated, time is not long for this man here.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's going to get a job, and good for him. Uh, the other thing that happened over the last few days, Jose Abreu, who had a really good career with the Chicago White Sox, nine years there, signed a free agent contract with the Houston Astros. He's basically making $20 million a year. It's a three-year, $60 million deal. I will start off. Because Hoff may disagree with me. I'm not sure. We haven't discussed this off air because I wanted to have this naturally on the Rico. I like Abreu. I wanted the Mets to sign Jose Abreu in 2013, leading into 14. I thought he should have been the first baseman over Ike Davis and Lucas Duda. So I have a long history of liking Jose Abreu. Um I am glad the Mets didn't sign him, though. I have to admit that. Um Number one, his power took a major, major hit this year. He wasn't a bad offensive player. He still hit for a good average. He still had a high OPS. In fact, his average was way up from the previous season. But he went from 30 home runs to 15 home runs. But that's not even my reasoning for this. It's not about, oh, my God, I don't know how good he is. It's more three or $60 million for a 36-year-old who's coming off a season which is power diminished. Like, You get Jose Abreu on a one-year deal, cool. I got no problem with that. Bring him in. Bring him in. But a three-year deal in which you're investing $20 million a year, I know that we could just have the argument of, ah, Steve Cohen's got unlimited funds, who cares? Sure, we can have that. But if we're trying to be fair about the contract he got and what I'd expect out of him over the next three years, I don't love the signing. Now, that's the Astros' problem, so I'm not going to go crazy about it. But I don't think I would have been excited about handing a three-year, sixty million dollar deal to a thirty-six-year-old whose power got cut in half.
2: Yeah, I'd hate to disagree with you on this, but I really can't. When I got killed on the uh, with BT and, and and Tiki when this when this happened, and I'm like, why would the, why would the Mets be in on him? Like, I don't mind Jose Abreu, the idea of him, but he's getting older again. Like you said, the power wasn't there last year. And I think there's other key needs. And not to mention, you're going to bring in a first baseman to, what, compete with Pete Alonso, who plays first base? You then just handcuff the guy at DH? I can't do that. Then you got that, that screws up Francisco Alvarez, because I think that a majority of Francisco Alvarez's playing time is going to be out of the DH role, not as a catcher. So Abreu, while I don't even think for a year is worth it, I just think that it, it's not what the Mets need. And I like that they avoided it. Well,
0: you look, you hit on something. And it's not competing with Alonzo. Alonzo's the first baseman period stop. It's you're locking up the DH spot. And you're not locking it up against lefties. You're locking it up against everybody because you're not paying a guy twenty million dollars a year to be a part-time DH. He's the DH. And so you're right. You've eliminated Francisco Alvarez from doing it part-time. You've eliminated from other options at DH, which we could explore. On this podcast and future podcasts, because I think there are a lot of internal options that are appealing, and you've eliminated all that because once you give twenty million dollars a year to a guy who's a first baseman, he's the DH. Like that's it. And I just think there are other options. So that, along with the money, along with locking it up, I don't love it. So I'm not upset that the Mets didn't sign him. I didn't think it was crazy the Mets didn't sign him. And and I will give you a few other options that i think will cost less and i'm not even saying i would do any of this i just want to give you other names of guys that are out there right now for this team to sign jd martinez is still a free agent justin turner intrigues me as a dh option here's why justin turner's 38 years old i think when we hear justin turner we think oh you're signing him to play third base i'm not signing him to play third base the mets have options at third base they have brett Beatty, they have edward escobar but turner could be a dh option and a third base option. Like, that's the beauty of a guy like him compared to Abreu, where you clearly have a first baseman that you're planning on playing 155 games a year. Problem with Turner is he doesn't offer, like, these splits against lefties that make him the right-handed complement to Daniel Vogelbach, if you're even playing Daniel Vogelbach anymore. But it's at least a name that I think would be cheaper than Abreu, would not be as many years as Abreu and gives you a different kind of position versatility than Jose Abreu, where he can literally just play first base. Uh, Will Myers, Adam Duvall, Mitch Haniger, Luke Voigt. But I'll give you an interesting one. And I don't know how much he's going to cost, and I'm not sure he's ready to leave. But if Abreu's going to Houston and they're okay walking away from Julie Gurriel, Julie Gurriel is very, very appealing because a, he's not costing 3 or $60 million. B, he freaking tore it up during the postseason. So despite his offensive numbers being way down this year, how good was he in October? And he's still a very good defensive first baseman. So you're not bringing in a guy like Abreu who has to play first base. You're bringing in a guy who can play first base and is good defensively, but also has experience playing other infield positions. He is 38 years old, so he's a little bit on the older side. But on a one-year deal, that's the kind of signing I'd be more into if I'm adding another bat that I'm kind of figuring will get a lot of ABs at DH. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: And something that I love about Yuli Gurriel, which no one talks about, his hair is amazing. I don't know what he does, but whenever that helmet comes off, it is like all over the place, but like perfectly screwed up and it's beautiful. So imagine... The endorsements, Hoff. Oh my God, head and shoulders, whatever it is. I mean, you, uh, you name Axe Spray, who knows? He'll get them, and I would love to see that crazy hair and nice blue, uh, orange and blue jersey. I'm, I'm all about that because again, I'm okay with if you're gonna bring in a DH, if it's solely a guy who's gonna play DH, a one year DH, I'm okay with. I don't, don't need to handcuff anybody for a significant amount of time right now. I just don't.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you where I'm leaning besides even those names I brought up. I'm leaning towards internal. I really am. I'm leaning towards this is not only an opportunity for Alvarez to DH a lot along with catching because, and I've said this before, I envision Tomas Nito catching against left-handed pitchers and Alvarez DHing against left-handed pitchers and then Alvarez catching a lot against right-handed pitchers. And then you've got your left-handed DH, whether it's Daniel Vogelback, whether it's even a Brett Beatty, because Brett Beatty, in theory, is a third baseman, but if Eduardo Escobar is having a really good year and you want Luis Garamay's defense out there, there are a lot of scenarios where Beatty ends up DHing a lot. So I'm good with giving Beatty, Vientos, Alvarez, a little bit of Vogelback, really a combination of those four guys, plus off days. You know, you're giving Jeff McNeil a half an off day, Francisco Lindora a half an off day, all that. I'm okay with those being my guys. And here's the backup plan because I really believe a lot of the Mets lineup success is going to be based on Beatty and Alvarez and even Vientos to a degree, but specifically Beatty and Alvarez. How good are those guys? If they're that good, the Met lineup is different dynamic, potentially. If they're not good, then I think you look at the trade deadline. I know the trade deadline was not a success in 2022, But that doesn't mean every trade deadline is going to suck. I think then you look at the trade deadline and say, okay, this didn't work. The internal options didn't work. Okay, who's out there? Oh, Hunter Hunter Renfro's out there. Why? Because the Angels are a disaster, and they suck, and they're out of it. Oh, look, Ian Happ is out there. Why? Because the Cubs are going nowhere. Oh, look, CJ Krohn is out there this time for real because the Rockies aren't going anywhere. Like, there are going to be options. Now, those are me projecting. I can't guarantee CJ Crony and Hap Hunter Renfro are available at the trade deadline, but I'm good. This may piss a lot of Met fans off. I apologize. I'm good with those internal options filling in the DH spot. And then if it doesn't work, if we're wrong about these prospects, then you use the trade deadline to fill the hole.
2: So I hate it a lot. Like I, <laughs> I, I'm like not for that because like, I listen, not saying that I want to secure up and lock up the DH, but I, it makes me feel like, again, I'm, I'm huge on a Trey Turner. I don't expect our judge to come here, but I would love to secure a power bat somehow in this lineup somewhere. Don't want to eat up the DH, but but something of substance. That scenario makes me feel like, we have internal moves, so we're not gonna do that. So I feel like the offseason's not gonna be as big as I'd like it to be. However, the one thing I will take with this, and I you and I were screaming for it all season long, and it took till September to call Francisco Alvarez. You at least give them all this time in advance. You get you give you giving them Beatty Alvarez months rather than days. And that to me is huge. If you add
0: And Trey Turner doesn't fit it. I think the Trey Turner discussion is different. I think it's more around Nimmo and if he's back or not. But if you add someone to be your DH, a full-time DH, where are the at-bats coming from for Brett Beatty? I'll start with him because Eduardo Escobar is still on this team and was one of their better offensive players in September. You know, where is Beatty playing? Like, I think a lot of Beatty's at-bats – could actually be at DH. So Beatty and Alvarez and to a degree Vientos need an opportunity to play this year. You're right about last year, but last year is over. There's nothing we could do about it. And if you're adding kind of average bats to this lineup, you're clogging them from getting an opportunity. And July is that period of time to say, oh, okay, this didn't work as well as I thought. Now let's go make a move for a bat we need. So that's the only reason why... Look, obviously, you go get a superstar, sign me up. I'm not against that. You want to go get a Trey Turner and move however you want to position it? I've mentioned him playing center field, but let's say he's the third baseman or he's the second baseman and McNeil moves to third. Great. Those guys are great players. But the average player, the average DH, that's what's not appealing because I'd rather see the upside of Beatty and, to a degree, Alvarez and Vientos.
2: And basically, that's what's on free agency right now is average DH guys.
0: Yes. No question. The other thing that happened is Bryce Harper is he officially had the Tommy John surgery. I'm hearing he's not coming back to the all-star break. Here's the way this lays out for the Mets this year. And it's weird. Cause I was looking at the schedule the other day, trying to remind myself how weird 2023 is. We no longer play these division rivals 19 times. That's gone. That's gone by the wayside. So as a reminder, The Mets will play each of their division rivals 13 times this season. It went from 19 to 13, and much like in the past where it was 10 at home, 9 on the road, or 9 at home, 10 on the road, it's the same thing except it's 7 and 6. So the Phillies and the Mets play 13 times, 6 at Citi Field, 7 in Philadelphia. Uh, The two teams, they have the home field advantage on, if you will. It's really one game is Atlanta and Washington, Philly and Miami's the six and seven. But the Mets and the Phillies will play six of their 17 times before the All-Star break. So based on that, they'll miss a little bit of Bryce Harper, but the Mets actually closed the season with seven of 10 games against the Philadelphia Phillies in September. So they'll miss a little bit of Bryce, but maybe not as much as you thought. And they don't play the Phillies until the last weekend in May. So, again, you're playing them less, but no Phillies in April and no Phillies until the latter part of May as you're looking at Memorial Day weekend. So, for whatever that's worth,
2: that's the info on Bryce who's going to miss a significant amount of time. And that sucks because, of course, he'll come back and he'll be MVP-like material for the last half of the season. But question to you, and this is serious because – the debate about Aaron Judge and Jacob DeGrom. Now, I understand pitcher versus uh, an offensive player. There's different value and stuff like that. But th- this is reality. Mike Trout signed one of the biggest contracts in, in baseball, right? Bryce Harper's up there too uh, as far as how much money he's going to earn over his contract. Like, you're talking about Jacob DeGrom and you're talking about Aaron Judge and we're talking about injury history. These guys signed their contracts and are still getting hurt. And, and now I understand it's not a – it's it's not something that's nagging. It's not well Trout's back issue is gonna be nagging his rest of his career. But Bryce Harper's just a tough-nosed player. He he happened to break his thumb. He happened to do this, he happened to do that. Like that's happening. But how do you incorporate that with financial um with financial restraints when you're talking about the best players in the league? It's part of the game, man. I mean, it just is what it is. And what really
0: saved Bryce and saved the Phillies and Who knows? Maybe down the road it saves the Mets is the fact that they have the DH because if they didn't have the DH, Bryce Harper misses a significant part of last year. Maybe he doesn't play at all. Maybe he needs this surgery prior to this offseason and clearly the Phillies don't win anything. I know they played well without him, but it's a major hindrance to their abilities to go as far as they did. And it's the same thing coming up this year. I mean, what I'm reading about Bryce Harper is that They may have him back by the All-Star break, and then he's going to have to DH. (laughs) And they hope he'll play the field by next year, late in the year, which means Bryce Harper will go over a year plus not playing the field. So I know I've been anti-DH in the past, and my opinions about the rule remain the same. It's over now. It doesn't matter. But there's no doubting that that rule – saves a guy like Bryce Harper. And like I said, I can't rule out what's going to happen to the Mets down the road. You never know who's going to suffer an injury but still be able to play because there's a DH. But whenever you sign a guy, whether it's Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, Jacob DeGrom, doesn't matter, there's a risk of injury. And you know that. That's just part of the game. But in the Phillies' case, how much have they lost from him? Because they still got to a World Series. He still hit a majestic postseason home run. They still were able to play him. And under this format that we now live in, where six teams make the playoffs, they can survive a few months without Bryce Harper, as long as when he comes back in July, August, and September, he's Bryce Harper. And they can still find a way to make the playoffs, win 87 games, and then
2: miraculously go to the World Series. I mean, look at the Grum. The Grom insurers were gone for a lot, a lot of yes. times too, and and we and we've actually in years past when the Grom had his most dominant seasons where they could not win a freaking game for him, the best season they've had over the past five years, he wasn't even really there for. It. I know, and in theory, him coming back
0: strong in August could have worked, and it did. It didn't, you know. We know how the hell it worked. It did work. It didn't work. It doesn't matter. We now live in a world in which baseball is closer. It isn't there yet, but it's closer to the NBA, where it's just be healthy at the right time. Make the postseason, get into the tournament, doesn't matter the seed, and just get healthy at the right time.